This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, we take you back to 1948 and visit with one of the most popular entertainers of the day, Fred Allen. His best-remembered gag was his long-running mock feud with friend and fellow comedian Jack Benny, but it was only part of his appeal. Radio historian John Dunning of On the Air, the Encyclopedia of Old Time Radio, wrote that Allen was radio's most admired comedian and most frequently censored. A master ad-libber, Allen often tangled with his network executives and often barbed them on the air over the battles, too. His avowed fans also included President Franklin D. Roosevelt and novelist William Faulkner. Let's find out what all the excitement is about in this episode entitled Author Meets His Match. The four dealers of America present the Fred Allen Show. The Fred Allen Show with Fred's guest, the new literary lion, Mr. James A. Farley, Fulton Hoffman, Minerva Pius, Peter Donald, Parker Fenley, the DeMarco sisters, and Al Goodman in his orchestra. Ladies and gentlemen, this week a survey reported that the life expectancy of the average man is 62 and 6 tenths years. Tonight, we present an average man who hopes to live to be as old as his joke. He's Fred Allen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And good evening, ladies and gentlemen. In Portland, what is this life expectancy business? What is that? The average man is supposed to live 62 years. Oh, that's silly. That's what Mama says. What? A man can't get his social security until he's 65. Well, if he only lives to be 62... The man will have to be dead three years before he can apply for his social security. Well, the, the Marshall Plan is better than that. How does that work? Well, to get money under the Marshall Plan, you have to be living, but not in this country. <laughs> Enough about life expectancy. What is our last expectancy for this evening? Oh, I have some clippings. Oh, clippings. Good. What's in the news? Last? Sunday, Edgar Bergen's program wasn't on the air. No kidding. You mean uh, Edgar's listeners didn't have a chance to hear that singing jingle? A royal pudding. They didn't have a chance. Music lovers, no. jingle lovers didn't hear that. And Jack Benny's program was off at the beginning, and he was cut off at the end, too. The beginning and the end were off, eh? Uh-huh. Now, if they can only find a way to do something about the middle of Benny's program. <laughs> Radio will really be making progress, Portland. I read that Jack's going to England this summer. Yes, he's America's answer to C. Aubrey Smith. 
<laughs> oh, you're always picking on Jack. Why not? Benny is the only actor in Hollywood who has a burglar alarm on his garbage pail. <laughs> I know that. Mrs. Levant called Benny up to see if he could do as much for her. <laughs> Tell me that's not libelous, is it? <laughs> is that libel? You're liable to get a letter from Oscar for that. <laughs> Tell me, what the, What else is new? They call a man from New Jersey selling horse meat in New York. No kidding. How did they catch him? Somebody found a racing form in a beef stew. No. <laughs> I had a steak one time. I think it came from a steeplechase horse. Why? Every time I stuck my fork in the steak, it jumped over the mashed potato. <laughs> and after that, I think I'll jump over the next two jokes, Portland, and start for Alan's Alley. What is your question tonight? Well, last week, the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Mastodonic and Super Colossal Circus opened here at Madison Square Garden. And so our question naturally is, what did you like best about this year's edition of the circus? Shall we go? As the stocking said when the garter broke, there's nothing to hold me up. Well, here we are back in Allen's Alley, Portland. Say, I guess Senator Claghorn's in all right. His Ford is parked in the mule stall. The mule must be in the house putting on the feed bag with the senator. Well, let's not. Somebody, I say somebody put the skin to my mansion. Oh, it's you, Jowl Eyes. Jowl Eyes? Now, wait a minute, Senator. Well, your head looks lumpy, son. I can see you got something on your mind. Well, yes, Well, Senator. still it, son. I'm busier than a sinner's kneecap at a revival meeting. <laughs> you know, the baseball season opens in Washington tomorrow. I'm getting little old Harry in shape. Well, <laughs> is, the, is the president going to participate in the game? Oh, yeah, sure is. This year, Harry will play ball with anybody. <laughs> Yeah, you know, he can't wait to throw that first ball out to the Washington team. Well, why? It'll be the first time this year the Senators have taken anything from Harry. <laughs> well, tell me, Senator, how do you think the baseball season is going to uh, turn out? Well, the Taft-Hartley Act is going to make it hard on umpires. The Taft-Hartley Act? Well, uh, before an umpire can call a strike, he'll have to get out an injunction. <laughs> Well, look, tell me, Senator, what about the circus this year? Have you seen... Well, son, the circus ain't got nothing we ain't got down in Washington. You, uh... Take them clowns. We got more clowns in Washington than the circus ever seen. <laughs> and, uh, them Eubangies. We got politicians with bigger mouths than any Eubangies. Right. Take that juggler keeping 20 Indian clubs in the air. Congress has got the whole country up in the air. Well, what about the strong man, Senator? He carried 20 men on his back. Well, carrying 20 men ain't nothing, son. No? We got a man down in Washington named Statham. A strong man? He just carried two states, Wisconsin and Nebraska. So long, oh, son. So long, Eddie. I wonder if Harold will put those down later. Well, let's see. Let's see if Mr. Moody is still around. Howdy, Bob. <laughs> well, uh, Mr. Moody, what is your reaction to the circus this year? Oh, shucks. <laughs> circus. 
Circus don't mean nothing to me. Uh, no? No. My whole family was circus folks. Oh, really? Uh, they were freaks, mostly. <laughs> My uncle Geek Moody. Geek Moody? Geek L. Moody. Yes? He was known as Jojo, the dog-faced boy. He, he was famous. Oh, yes, I've heard of Jojo. Uh, he used to pose for dog food ads. Pose? <laughs> he posed, eh? Jojo was a man of distemper. Oh, <laughs> My aunt, Mona Moody. Yes. She traveled as Madame Lafarge. Oh, <laughs> Madame Lafarge, eh? She was a bearded lady. Oh. Well, how did your aunt become a bearded lady? Why, well, she was raised on goat's milk. Yeah. As a baby, she had a little goatee. <laughs> I see. I used to see how that would develop. Yeah. But the time she went to the circus, Mona was sure hairy. She was hairy, eh? Her face looked like the elbow of a raccoon court. Well, what, uh, what other relatives did you have with the circus? Well, my brother, Bunch Moody, he was a duck impersonator. A duck impersonator, eh? But things got bad and he disappeared. He took his feathers and his web feet and disappeared completely? Yeah, there was only one trace. The duck impersonator? He left a big bill at the hotel. But <laughs> have you Have you yourself ever been with the circus, Titus? Oh, once when I was a boy, but I got fired. Fired? What happened? Why, my job was feeding Jumbo, the elephant. Yeah? After two months, Jumbo lost 400 pounds. You are nothing but skin and tusk. Well, how come? I, I was nearsighted. Nearsighted? For two months, I was leaving the elephant's hay at the wrong end. <laughs> Elephant's hay at the wrong end. Yeah. Jumbo was starving to death. Uh-huh. But he was sitting pretty. So long, uh -huh. <laughs> Titus is too much for me. Let's, uh, let's uh, try this next door. Hi, Jeffy. Oh, Mrs. Nussbaum. How do you feel about the circus this year? I am going with Mr. and Mrs. Epstein. Oh, the Epsteins, eh? He is in the fur business, a big squeeze. Oh, in the <laughs> fur business. Well, tell me, what uh, what happened at the circus? First, we are seeing the Siamese twins, two girls. Girls, Siamese twins? Standing in front is a big crowd, and everybody's guessing. Guessing what? Which Siamese twin is having the Tony permanent? <laughs> well, after... <laughs> After viewing the twins... We are seeing the animals until is happening the accident. Oh, say, what, what caused the accident? Well, Mrs. Epstein is wearing, by not her husband is in the fur business, a leopard coat. Oh, I see. I see. Passing the leopard's cage, Mrs. Epstein is looking first on her coat, next on the leopard. Uh-huh. And she is saying, for this I am marrying. Yes. <laughs> Epstein is saying, what now? What now? Pointing to the leopard, Mrs. Epstein is saying, an animal is wearing a better fur coat than Lulu Bell Epstein. Wow. So Mr. Epstein is saying, your coat with connections I'm buying wholesale. Yeah? Who does a leopard know he could buy wholesale a skin? I see. With this, Mrs. Epstein is pouting. She's pouting, eh? Mr. Epstein is saying, Leopard is a phony. His skin is imitation. I will prove it. Being in the business. Through the 
Okay, Mr. Epstein is reaching in the hand to feeling by the leopard the skin. Yes. Yes, there is a shriek. A shriek? What happened? You are eating with the circus of the great Eunice. Oh, the fellow who balances himself on only one finger? One finger. You mean the great Eunice? He is formerly Mr. Epstein. (laughs) And that, uh... That brings us to Mr. Cassidy's shanty. Well, let's stop for a minute or so with Ajax. Here they were! Oh, 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 Cosmos O'Shaughnessy? Oh, sure, he's a human wildcat. Really? Well, to keep Cosmos from disrupting the circus, I bought him a box of Cracker Jack, and I held him firmly by his sticky hand. You walked around holding little Cosmos by the hand? Well, only once I let go. When was that? Well, I was passing a big cage, you see. Yeah. And outside it said Gargantua. Gargantua? Well, I looked in the cage, and this gentleman was in there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Himself, says I, Gargantua. He looks like an uncle of mine, Mullet Muldoon. Mullet Muldoon, eh? Says I, hello, Mullet. But he just sat there cracking peanuts between his toes. Well, it must have been Gargantua. Unless Mullet was playing possum. That's possum. <laughs> well, after this episode... So I, I reached out and I took little Cosmos again by the hand. I see. And I looked down. Glory be. What? Be the hand instead of holding little Cosmos O'Shaughnessy with his box of crackers, Jack. Yes? I'm holding a midget, a little wrinkled one. A wrinkled one? Well, what did you do? Well, the circus was over. What could I do? You took the midget home? I explained the circumstances to Mr. and Mrs. O'Shaughnessy. Yes? He took a shine to the midget. Uh-huh. And the midget took a shine to the O'Shaughnessy. Yes. Oh, there was blessings all of those. Well, what happened to little Cosmos? Uh, if you happen to visit the circus... Yes? You see a midget with a sticky hand eating Cracker Jack. Yes? You're looking at Cosmos O'Shaughnessy. Well, tell me, Ajax, how did you personally like the circus? Ah, uh, me boy, they call it the biggest show on earth. To me, it is the biggest disappointment on earth. Disappointment? The circus? All that shot is on the floor and you can't buy a drink in the place. Good night. <laughs> Circus return to our musical sideshow. The five DeMarco sisters and Maestro Al Goodman and his big top band combined to give us Tooley Ooly Dooley, girl. When a Swiss boy goes calling on a Christmas in June, Ooly Ooly Dooly Dooly, he sings a pretty tune. And he charms her like magic when you're old. Now you know when 
Kenny, why waste time writing a love poem? Call the girl up, reverse the charges, and tell her how you feel about it. <laughs> yeah, but my, my, uh, I know what my poem isn't about a girl. Not about what sort of a dactyl is it? Well, man? I'll read it. Listen. Roses are red, violets are blue, Ford's love, Ford's service, and so will you. What's wrong with that? It starts off swell. Yeah, I know. It's just the next couplet is where I need help. Oh, well. I can't seem to rhyme genuine Ford parts, special equipment, Ford train mechanics, and factory-approved methods. Now, let me... That takes a bit of doing, but I may be able to handle it, <laughs> pending the arrival of Superman. Let me see. <laughs> special equipment. You need a rhyme special... Say, I have it, Kenny. How is this? Special equipment and Ford train mechanics stop service worries, eliminate panics. Ah, oh, that's great, Fred. Great. Yeah. And I have a sock finish. Get this. Your Ford is never nervous when you bring it home for service. How was that, Fred? Well, you want the truth, Kenny. Yeah. It was all right, but you will never be the Edgar Guest of tomorrow. Well, <laughs> maybe not, Fred, but at least my poem tells why the best service from start to finish is designed to cost less at your friendly Ford dealer. Yes, it does. Yeah. Don't do that. You have just heard a minute or two from Now is the Hour. Played by Maestro Al Goodman and 25 men who, if their instruments were taken away, would look like the police lineup. And now, say, uh, say, Portland. Yes? Would you help me arrange uh, these chairs around the table here, please? Uh, we're having a literary discussion tonight. Have you found a book? Oh, I have a book, uh, an author, and a brace of critics. Oh, who is the author? Mr. James A. Farley. Who is Mr. James A. Farley? Who is Mr. James A. Farley? He is only one of the most famous figures in American political life. Why, Mr. Farley's new book is sweeping the country. It's number two on the best uh, seller list as of today. Has it been banned in Boston yet? <laughs> No, only in Maine and Vermont. That's right. I'm uh, looking forward to this tonight, Portland. This is going to be some dis uh, discussion. What a night for the literati. Yes, and for the people who, who uh, can read, too. There we go. Well, Portland, I guess we're all set. Let's start our book program. Presenting The Author Meets His Mask. And here, ladies and gentlemen, is your moderator, that popular literary figure, the man who knew Random House when it was just a Quonset hut, <laughs> Mr. Frederick Allen. Thank you, and good evening, fellow bookworms. Tonight, as usual, our program is unrehearsed, unprepared, and uncalled for. <laughs> the book up for discussion this evening is Jim Farley's Story, written by the Honorable James A. Farley. We have a brilliant panel of literary giants assembled this evening. I'm going to ask the critics to introduce themselves. Now, first... I am Dr. Wolfgang Holstein. 
You are a psychiatrist, Dr. Holstein? Yeah, so my office is in Central Park. In Central Park? Yeah, instead of a couch, my patients lay down on a bench. Well, how can patients find you in Central Park? Simple, uh, you come in from 6th Avenue, and on the left, you are looking behind a bush and whistling. <laughs> You are behind the bush? I am dressed like a doctor. I am wearing a white coat and white pants. Oh, I see. In between patients, I sell good humor. <laughs> doctor? Doctor, do you, uh, do you by any chance have a literary background? Oh, so I, I am writing a book now on psychiatry. Oh, a book? It is called From Neurosis to Halitosis. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, the, the bookmark is a package of sen <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Holmes. You're welcome. Now, our next critic... I am Prudence Saddleford. And you, uh, Miss Saddleford? I am the literary consultant and hostess in charge of tea bags for the Rexall Drugstore. <laughs> you, uh, you review the books before they go on sale at your chain of drugstores? Yes, I select books that will help the sale of our merchandise. Well, just how do you mean that, Miss Battleford? Well, for example, when we're having a sale of soap, we display Captain from Castile. <laughs> when we have a special on umbrellas, we feature Raintree County. Very good, yes. And when we displayed Bob Hope's book, yes. we were introducing Airwick. Well, now... <laughs> Thank you, Miss Paddle. But now the international celebrity. My intelligence programmer from the Soviet Union. Literary correspondent for the world's outstanding daily newspaper, Pravda. You, uh... I am the sworn enemy of yellow journalism, bourgeois music, and things in general. <laughs> Mr. Stroganoff, you are a critic. All my life I have been a critic. That is why I'm in America today. Well, why? I criticize something in Russia. <laughs> How do you feel about American books? Americans, bah! They are all capitalists. The only books the Americans are reading are bank books. <laughs> God will hold you, plutocrat. Thank you, Mr. Stroganoff. And now, ladies and gentlemen, our distinguished author of the evening. I am James A. Farley. <laughs> Mr. Farley, you are the author of Jim Farley's story. I am. Tell me, how did you come to write about yourself? In politics, Mr. Allen, that's the safest thing to do. The, <laughs> the safest? You better write about yourself before somebody else does. <laughs> well, will you tell us something about your book, Mr. Fowler? I'd be glad to. Jim Farley's story is a sort of a record of my life in politics. Over 35 years of service in the Democratic Party. Well, at what point in your life, uh, Mr. Fowley, did you first suspect that you would join this party? When I was a baby, my parents knew I would grow up to be a Democrat. Well, how? A Republican politician who was running for office came around kissing babies. Yes? When he bent over my crib to kiss me... Yes? I bit him on the nose. <laughs> and? Biting that Republican was my first service to the Democratic Party. Mr. Farley. There, ladies and gentlemen, you have our brilliant lineup for tonight. Our author, Mr. James A. Farley, versus our three astounding critics. And now, critics... Oh, excuse me, please. Uh, yes, Dr. Holstein? Uh, Mr. Farley is a very interesting psychological case. 
Well, how how do you mean that, Doctor? Well, as a baby, he bit a man on the nose. Yes. This is a sign of frustration. <laughs> the, the baby could not bite his own nose, so he bit somebody else's nose. <laughs> you Americans always you're sticking your noses into somebody else's business. In Russia, everybody has his nose to the grindstone. It looks terrible. <laughs> Oh, uh, speaking of noses, give your nose a treat. Let it smell the perfume on sale at Rexall. Ah, you see, I told you. Now Rexall is putting their business in everybody's noses. Critics, we are here to discuss Mr. Farley's book. Mr. Farley, I've heard you on several radio programs recently speaking about your book in uh, glowing terms. Yes, Mr. Allen, I've appeared with the Fitzgeralds, Mary Margaret's Bride, Dorothy and Dick, and author meets the critics. Radio in America, bah! In Russia, the real radio. What program? The masses go the shopping. <laughs> Life can be brutal. And Comrade Linklater's program, people are Bolsheviks. That's radio. <laughs> Excuse me, please. Uh, yes, yes, me. yes. Please, Holstein, please. Yes, Dr. Holstein. I had a patient once who was on the radio. He was a sound man. A sound man? Yeah. All he did was open and close doors. Yeah. After five years, he thought he was a door. <laughs> this man thought he was a door? Yeah. He took the buttons off his vest and had a knob sewed on. <laughs> He went around knocking himself. Doctor, did you did you cure this patient? Oh, absolutely. Uh, he he no longer thinks he's a door. No, today he thinks he's a window. <laughs> he goes with his vest pulled up. He thinks he's open. Oh, uh, yes, it is very. Speaking of radio, Rexall carries a complete stock of radios. And remember, if there's no Rexall drugstore in your neighborhood. Your neighborhood is no neighborhood. It's a wilderness. Yeah. In America, that's a wilderness. Siberia is a wilderness. Your brain is a wilderness. Who needs you? Dr. Holstein, please, if you I'm will. Sorry. Control yourself, Doctor. I, uh, I must remind you, critics, we're here to discuss Mr. Farley's book. Now, Mr. Farley, would you tell us, please, some of the uh, highlights of Jim Farley's story? Well, I think one of the most exciting days of my life was the day I was appointed Postmaster General. Postmaster General. That is capitalism. A general can't make enough money being a general. He's got to be a postmaster on the side. Mr. Farley, excuse me. Yes, Dr. Holstein. Uh, you said you were the Postmaster General? Yes, I was appointed in 1933. Yeah, so in 1933, I mailed out a bill to one of my patients. <laughs> The patient never paid me. He says he never got the bill. But what does that concern me, doctor? Well, did you ever have a letter left over in your mail bag? <laughs> I didn't deliver. I didn't deliver the mail, doctor. I was the postmaster general. Oh, excuse me, <laughs> Doctor Holstein. Did you put a stamp on that letter in 1933? I... Oh, a stamp! I knew I forgot something. <laughs> Stamps remind me. Oh. You make a stamp with your tongue. This week, Rexall is featuring a delicious tongue sandwich. As we said, Rexall, our tongue sandwich speaks for itself. Yeah, this is America. Only a sandwich can speak. A man can't open his mouth. Oh, open your mouth. You don't say nothing. That's all you just keep One more outburst, and I'll adjourn this discussion. I'm sorry, Mr. Farley. Getting back to your book. 
Today in the New York Times, I noticed that Jim Farley's story is second on the bestseller list. How do you account for that? Well, Mr. Allen, this is an election year. Probably everybody is interested in politics. Yeah, Mr. Farley, as a psychiatrist, I would say that politics, politics is the most... Politics is propaganda. Strong enough, I was talking... Talking, 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 over, talking, yaddy, the only honest politics. We are having the secret ballot. The secret ballot? The Communist Party and the other party. What is the other party? That is the secret. <laughs> In your book, do you deal with any other subject or do you confine yourself to politics? Well, I mentioned of my business association with the Coca-Cola company. Yeah, you know, that is most interesting, Mr. Farley. I once had a patient who thought he was a Coca-Cola bottle. A Coca-Cola bottle? Yeah, every time he returned himself to my office, I had to give him a nickel back on himself. <laughs> what finally happened to this patient who thought he was a bottle of Coca-Cola? He blew his top. <laughs> Drink is vodka and Coca-Cola. In each glass, we are putting two bear's feet. Two bear's feet? Those are the paws that refresh us. That may be a joke, but Rexall's service is no joke. You are a joke. I'm laughing on you. Yeah, hyenas is always laughing. Touché, Doctor. Hyena, he said. They are calling me a hyena. Are you listening, Joe? Sorry, Mr. Farley. Mr. Farley, we don't seem to be getting anywhere with your book. I don't want to be an old spoil sport, Mr. Allen, but something tells me that none of your critics has read my book. Well, I'll soon find out, critics. Have you read Mr. Farley's book? No. 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 This is indeed embarrassing, Mr. Farley. No one on the uh, panel apparently has read Jim Farley's story. If we could get a few copies of the book in a hurry... I can take care of that. Well, this is Sunday, Mr. Farley. The bookstores are all closed. Fortunately, I always carry a suitcase full of books with me. Wait until I open this case. But, Mr. Farley... Step right up, folks. Get your copy of Jim Farley's story. Mr. Farley. $3.50, complete with jacket and bookmark. Mr. Farley. You say Jim Farley's story ain't enough? Tell you what I'm going to do. Now, wait a minute. Get away, boys. You bother me. Here you are, folks. With every copy of Jim Farley's story, I'm giving a more point back. I want to thank Mr. James A. Farley for joining us tonight and Mr. Jack Eigen for tuning us in. Thank you and good night. Good night. Thank you. Stay tuned for Escape, next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Next up, Escape Theater. Escape was a CBS radio show from July 7th of 47 to September 25th of 1954. And many of the stories, both original and adaptations, involved a life or death situation from which someone had to escape. Each show opened up with the following catchphrase. Tired of the everyday grind? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape. Escape. Transcribed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. 
You are aboard a dead ship, drifting aimlessly in the endless reaches of the Indian Ocean, while the three men who are your companions, unaware of your innermost thoughts, are making their own plans for the division of treasure, which, because you are a woman, can mean life or death for you all. Listen now as Escape brings you Larry Roman's unusual story, The Derelict. I'm rich now. Good-looking, too. A lot of guys have said so. 29, and that's on the square. Dark eyes, dark hair, and I've been a dancer all my life, so you can figure out for yourself how I'm built. I'm not telling you this out of conceit or anything. I just want you to know what you'd have if you had me. And you can have me, any one of you. All you gotta do is come out and get me. A couple of weeks ago, I climbed aboard the freighter Capricorn out of Singapore for Suez with a load of porcelain and six passengers. I had a job waiting for me in Cairo, but I took a ship instead of a plane. One, for the dough. Two, because I was in no hurry to start working. The honest truth was my feet were giving me fits. Four days out in the Indian Ocean, a monsoon started up and the Capricorn just busted to pieces on the reefs. I don't know how long I floated around hanging onto some wood till they hauled me into a lifeboat. All right now, easy with her. Uh, gently, gently. Do not bruise her on the side. Very <laughs> Clear off that canvas, Lua. Set you down. Uh, I'm all right. Certainly you are. Uh, here, throw this jacket around you. I'm okay. No kidding. The jacket. Thanks. And clamp your legs under the seat. Everyone all right? Everything all right here, Mr. Mike. Okay. We're just going to have to ride her out. You all right? Sure. Not sick anymore? All done. Kind of silly, wasn't it? Like a kid. No, not so silly. Uh, may I uh, do something for you, my dear? No, thanks. I'm really okay. Uh, Keatman. Henry Van Keatman's my name. It was my cargo of porcelain on the ship. I'm uh, Mark Bowman. Cora Moore. Hello. Uh, this is Lou Waugh, or is it Wa Lou? My name is Lou Waugh. Uh, Chinese, part of the crew. Well, some predicaments, huh? Others all drown, I suppose. Or adrift, like us? No drown, I think. We were the lucky ones. Some are, some aren't. Well, spirits up, everybody. Look, we have water for a few days, so that is fine. Sure. 
Well, people do not get lost at sea these days, not with airplanes and so much ocean travel. All right. We'll set up watches and take turns trying to catch fish. Fish? Uh, who can think of food now? There's always later. You take the first watch, Keatman. Luwa and I will... Put... Are you setting yourself up as captain, Mike? I haven't thought of it that way. I want to be captain. I have always wanted to run a ship. Well, I don't care who is captain, but someone's got to watch and someone's got to fish. Very well. We all got jobs to do. Lawu, you fish. Mike will watch. I shall tend to the water, portion out the proper amounts and quarter, my dear. You shall sit there and, and be womanly. The water sits in the middle so everyone can see it. Cora helps out like everyone else. Well, sure, Mike. Just tell me what you want. Settle, Mr. Keatman. Settle, Captain Borman. I got a long look at them. Keatman, big around the middle and chest, white, shiny face, powerful arms. Mike, middle size, not bad looking, with clear blue eyes. Kind of girl ought to have. Luwa, small, good at catching fish. So there we were, three men and me in a tub, bobbing around the Indian Ocean, drifting. Then on the afternoon of the second day... Oh, look at Look at You see, you see! Ah. A ship! Coming right for us, Mike. Look at it. I told you, I told you we'd be found. Hello! Hello! Save your breath. It's miles off. Oh, we rode to it. The oars. Walu, the oars. Mike, the oars. It was dusk by the time we got aboard. She was a three-masted sailing ship. All her lifeboats were gone and junk was all over her deck. Seaweed and ocean stuff. So you knew she'd been under once. An old barkentine, Mike said. A ghost ship. Her deck cabins were caved in and she stank from rot. We looked her over. Then down on the captain's quarters we saw it. First, a couple of human skeletons in a pile of junk that was once closed. Then a metal box, near the skeletons, open. And in it were bricks of greenish-yellow stuff. Mike knew right off what it was. Gold. Gold? Impossible, it cannot be. That's gold, all right. I've seen gold before. Well, sure it is. Sure, sure it is. Feel it. Hold on. Twenty, thirty pounds of brick. Why, that's a fortune. No kidding? How much? I don't know, but a fortune easily a great amount. Easily. Shut the box, Keaton. The, the salvage laws, it's ours. If we bring it in. We will. We've got another problem, Pat. I tell you, you do not get lost at sea these days. This is 1953. You do not get lost at sea in 1953. No. Shut the box. It won't swim off. What? Shut it. Who are you to tell me what to oh, do? Oh, stop it, you two. Squabble, squabble like a couple of chorus girls. Oh, uh, sorry. I apologize. All right. Now let's check the galley. We ought to figure out a way to start a fire. Oh, what about the, the skeletons? Oh, what about them? Well, you should get them overboard. I do not like to share the ship with them. You do what you want. You, you throw them overboard, Mike, if you don't mind. I wouldn't care to touch them. Other things come first. Uh, that is right. And, and, and before we do anything, don't you think we should have an understanding? About what? The gold. What's there to understand? There are four of us. 
We bring it in, it's split four ways. Four ways, yeah. Then I have a right. Now you go to the galley, Mike. I will stay here. I want to count the gold. All right. Come on, Corey. No, I'll stay down here if you don't mind. I'd like to know how much there is, too. Honest to Pete, I don't know why I said it. I wasn't thinking it. It just came out. Well, it rained that night, and we collected a lot of clean, fresh water. Next day, it was real sunny and warm. We cleaned the ship up a bit. All of a sudden, I got to feeling how funny things were. Adrift at sea on a ghost ship. But we had food, water, sun. At times, it was almost like a pleasure cruise. Good morning. Morning. Sleep well? Not too good. Of course, the place you fixed up for me was real nice, but... Well, I kept thinking about things. Cora Moore from San Diego with a jackpot. You know, you don't seem too happy about it. Yeah? First problems first. We'll get found. Keatman's right. You don't get lost at sea these days. Ship is bound to cross us. Isn't it? Sure. So then we'll all be rich and happy. You still don't feel good about it. I, uh, I remember once when I was a kid. I reached for a pot in a dice game. My winning. It was fair. I got the back of my hand ripped open with a knife. I never got the winnings. I see. Counting your chickens. That's it. Everybody does that. Look at me. I was going to be a ballet dancer. I was a ballet dancer. In my mind, I mean. Pirouettes and all that. Who knew I was going to end up a fan dancer? <laughs> well, that's not so bad. No? Oh, well. What are you going to do with your share of the gold? I mean, if we bring it in. Go back to Australia? Get a ranch? Cheap. Sounds like work. You won't have to work. You'll have enough. I don't mind. Good morning! Morning. Hi. Fine this morning. Where's Walu? Lou Wa is making breakfast. Ah, this morning I would like fish for breakfast. Have him make fish. <laughs> I feel good. I slept well. I always knew the rich slept well, no matter what they tried to tell you. Yeah. Oh, I see the skeletons are gone, Mike. I tossed them overside last night. Oh, thank you, Mike. Lou Wa found a barrel of nails. We're going to board up some cabin holes after we eat. You'll help? Certainly. I'll see you later, Cora. <laughs> Surly fellow. Well, you look lovely this morning, my dear. A fresh look. The sea air, yeah. You are a beautiful girl. Sure. I'll get better looking to you the longer we're at sea. <laughs> hey, Cora, my dear, I've been doing some calculations in regard to our wealth. If the bars weigh 20 pounds apiece, and since there are 100 of them, we have 20 by 12 by 100 by 35, the value of gold per ounce. In dollars, 840,000. Hmm. Buy a lot of meat and potatoes. Ah, filet mignon, pheasant, pompano, almondine. What's that? Ah, uh, something very delicious. Now, suppose the bar weighs 25 pounds. One million dollars. A million bucks? If the gold is sold at Macau, where the market is free, say, $50 an ounce, 
One million five hundred thousand. Oh, it keeps getting bigger. Matter of multiplication. Multiplication is a wonderful thing. It makes everything grow. Uh-huh. Division, however, is not so wonderful. What do you mean? Well, take a large satisfactory number and divide, say, by four. What are you left with? A small unsatisfactory number. Do you follow me? No. <laughs> Mull it to yourself, my dear. I, I'm sure it will come to you. Sure, I knew what he was getting at, but I wasn't letting on. Sometimes it pays to play dumb. Well, the day went on as usual, our ship drifting and us not seeing anything but the water and sky. And then that night, laying in my bunk, suddenly began to think of something. I don't know why, but there I was all of a sudden thinking about Keatman. And those ideas of his on multiplication and division. It just jolted me out of my bed. I ran out on deck. Mike came from one way, Keatman from the other, and we met at the railing. Lua! Lua, where are you? No need to shout more. Look. A few feet from us, the railing was all ripped away. We knew right off. Lua was overboard. We could see the fin of a great shark cut the dark water and disappear. You should not have leaned against the railing. The wood is rotten. What makes you think he leaned? The ship's tossing then. It, it threw him against the side. Lua was a sailor. It's a calm sea. He could keep his feet in this ocean. I don't understand you, Mike. How else could they have gone overboard? There are ways. I can't imagine. Look, do we have to stand around talking about it? Oh, of course not, my dear. Accidents do happen. There's no point. Kateman, you watch your step. Oh, what could you mean by that, Mike? Just watch your step, that's all. I don't know what happened to Lua, but you just watch your step. As you say, Captain Borman. Come on, Coy. I'll walk you back to your cabin. Mike walked me back. I had my chance to do some talking, to tell him about the conversation I'd had with Keatman, about multiplication and division. I should have told Mike... I know it. But somehow the words just wouldn't come out. I don't know why. Mike left me. I asked him to when I tried to get some sleep. No luck. I kept thinking about poor Lua and also something else. I don't really know why I thought about it, but the fact is I did. Without me doing anything, I just got Richard. Hmm? Are you asleep? May I come in? Well, I... Just for a few moments, my dear. I, I want to talk to you. All right. Just a sec. It's real late. Oh, just a little while. The thing is, I do not get to see you enough alone. Oh, Cora... Now, wait a minute. Oh, it's all right. Mike is asleep. He will not hear. Hands off, mister. That's all. Oh, have I made a mistake? I thought you had some feeling for me. Well, it... It just that... <laughs> you sure rush a girl. Oh, oh, I see. I'm sorry. 
Why don't you go now, Keatman? Oh, no, Henry. Why don't you go, Henry? I, uh, I feel kind of upset tonight. You know what I mean. Lua and everything. Yeah, yeah, all right, my dear. You're not mad? Oh, no, no. There'll be, uh, other times. Oh, yes, of course, other times. Cora. Hmm? When we are safe on land and rich, we will go someplace, you and I. Italy, perhaps, or the south of France. Cora. One million and a half divided by three is a large number. That should mean a lot to you. Yeah. I have to admit. I've been thinking about it. One million and a half divided by two should mean even more. Mike at the ship's bow, looking out at the sea. I remember saying to myself, he looked kind of good to me. Funny how a guy can look one way to you at one time, then at another looks so very different. Oh, hello. What do you see? Ah, uh, the usual. Nothing. Oh, it's not so bad. Still got fish and water. It's only the third day. Guys were adrift during the war for weeks. They got saved. Sure. They had it worse than us. Mind if I uh, sit here with you? No, tell us not. You seen Keatman? Uh-uh. But low, I guess, counting. Yeah. He sure has gone off on that gold. You know, I've been thinking. About what? Those skeletons we found. You wonder who they are? Who they were? Mm-hmm. A little. You think they were part of the crew or uh, come on later like us? Oh, it looks to me like the whole crew abandoned ship. No, I'd say those two came on later. That's after the ship came up from the bottom. And they found the gold, huh? Just like us? Uh-huh. wondered what happened then. Mm. It sure smells good up here. Hmm. It's about the only place aboard you don't smell the ship's rot. Maybe I should have been a sailor instead of a dancer. A lot of good outdoors. Ranching gets you outside, too. Yeah. Bet Australia's just loaded down with fresh air. What about sheep, huh? What about them? They smell? <laughs> sheep aren't so bad. Maybe I ought to use my share of the gold to buy a ranch next to yours. We could be neighbors and get together to talk about hard times. All this, I mean. Um, Cora. Hmm? Cora, I... I don't know. I can't quite tell whether it's because of the mess we're in or... Well, I, I suppose it might be different on land when we're safe, but... What are you trying to say, Mike? Oh, nothing. You forget it, Cora. Sure. All right. Mike. Hmm? Keatman came into my cabin last night. He did? I thought there was going to be trouble. When I let Cora... No, it's all right. The only thing is... Well, I think you better watch yourself. Uh, what do you mean? Well, it, it's what he said to me. He said him and me could split the gold in two. Yeah. I just thought I ought to tell you. Thanks. 
There's a knife in the galley. I don't want to suggest anything, but... Nobody's going to blame you if you move first. I don't know why I said it the way I said it. I didn't mean to say it that way. It just sort of came out. Funny how you do things sometimes. For no real reason, I mean. Well, the third day went by and we just kept drifting and drifting. Nothing to look at but ocean and sky. Then toward late afternoon, we saw something. Just a speck in the sky, but then it came closer and closer. A plane. One of those big four-engine passenger jobs. Hey! Hey, down here! Down here! Hey! Keatman waved his shirt and screamed to beat the band. The plane saw us, dipped its wings, and then took off again. We knew it would send a ship and that we'd soon be saved. That night in the galley, we sat down for what we hoped would be our last meal on the derelict. Fish. Have some delicious fish. Thank you. I don't want any more. Cora? Uh-uh. I don't feel much like eating. Ah, water, then. Have a big drink of water. No, I don't want any. Watch out. You're spilling it. Oh, who needs it anymore? I told you we'd be found. This is 1953. The ship will come to us tomorrow, I bet. All right. And we'll celebrate tomorrow. You put the water down. We've still got tonight. Tonight? Yeah, tonight. Keatman shut up then and a few minutes later left the galley. Then Mike went out too. That's when I noticed that the galley knife wasn't there anymore. The sea got kind of choppy that night and I was sure restless. Wind started acting up and began to rain. It looked like a storm was building. Then I heard the scream. I ran out along the wet deck and stood outside the hold looking down into the blackness. I couldn't see, but I knew what it was. Mike and Keatman. And only one was going to come up. Only one. Hello, my dear. Henry. I, I got the knife in him. Before he knew what happened. Mike. Done. We divide by two, my love, by two as it should be. I gotta get into my cabin. I'm getting all wet. Oh, wait. Cora. Yeah? The ship will come to us today, to us, to you and me. The million and a half is ours. I know, Henry. South of France. Or would you rather Italy? Whatever you want, Henry. Anything? Yeah. Oh, Cora. Cora, my love. Oh, Oh, Cora! Cora! I don't know why I did it. Honest to Pete, I wasn't thinking about it. I just did it all of a sudden. I gave him a shove and he went right over the side. I could see him in water just for a second. His face whiter than ever and his eyes bugging out. And then he was gone. The storm lasted for days. Three, four. I don't remember now. And it tossed the ship I don't know how many which ways. 
Then the sky cleared up. Sun got all warm again. Been this way a couple of days now. Well, I haven't seen the rescue ship. Water's gone. Fish, too. And I'm alone. Well, like I say, I'm rich. I'm still good looking. Any of you can have me, me and gold. All you gotta do is come out and get me. But please, please come quick. <laughs> Under the direction of Anthony Ellis, Escape has brought you The Derelict, adapted by Larry Roman from a story by Victor Schwartz and starring Charlotte Lawrence as Cora. Featured in the cast were Joseph Kearns as Keatman, Ben Wright as Mike, and Charlie Long as Lou Waugh. The special music for Escape is composed and conducted by Leith Stevens. Next week... standing guard deep in the forests of Africa while around you closing in on you are the dreaded Malmo who if you relax your guard will kill you so listen next week when escape brings you John Daner's terrifying story Lily and the Colonel <laughs> This coming Tuesday night, mystery fans will want to stop, listen, and thrill to Mr. and Mrs. North looking for trouble on CBS Radio. And to John Lund as yours truly, Johnny Dollar, probing the San Antonio matter. The Norths collide with homicide and come close to grief themselves. Johnny Dollar comes close to falling in love, closer still to trouble in San Antonio. Remember, they're both this coming Tuesday night on most of these same CBS radio stations. Mr. and Mrs. North, and yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Don't miss them. This is Roy Rowan speaking. And remember, you're invited to Art Linkletter's house party every weekday on the CBS Radio Network. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Duffy's Tavern, followed by Sam's Maid. Thanks to Joe Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.